Friends, welcome to another episode of Making Disciples. I am really pleased that you're able to join me today on this adventure of discipleship. This podcast is a weekly podcast. It comes out every Monday morning. It's hosted by me, Chris Rogers. Sometimes these podcasts are just me talking. Sometimes it's me interviewing somebody. And today is me exploring what you describe, I guess, as a Bible theme, a, a, a thing that might help us understand the Bible a little bit better. And I love doing this because the Bible so often can feel like a mysterious book, but there are clues and hints within it that actually, if we can get our head around it, we could really start to see these stories or this history uh, within this book as something that can really transform our lives uh, as we kind of understand it a little bit more. And today we're talking about uh, a particular idea uh, around location. The Bible writers give you and I clues to know what to do with the text. And sometimes they will give a name of an individual or they may give a location or a time of day. And when they do that, that isn't necessarily normal. Uh, you look at a lot of the stories, they don't tell you the exact location where something happened. So when they tell you this is where this happened, you and I need to kind of take notice of that and say, well, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, why is the writer choosing to give me that piece of information? And you might see the text of the Bible, the, the words of the Bible as prime real estate. OK, uh, writing something down took time, took energy, took papyrus and took ink. And for you to write down the Gospels or write down the letters, uh, this was a timely business. So uh, they would choose their words really, really carefully. Like they would choose this word over, over that word. Uh, and choosing to give you and I a location uh, isn't necessarily needed in many stories. But when they do, when they give you a location, it's almost like a take note. Like This happened here, like in this space. So therefore, for us, we've got to ask our question, well, what happened in that space? Surely if you're telling me that place is important by naming it, like what happened there? So we're going to do some little bit of research uh, around a location to see how it might change the way that we read a story. And the challenge for us is then whatever you're reading to then do the same. Like there's a, there's a location named. Can I head to Google? Can I get myself a history book? Can I go and find something out about this place that might help me understand what actually happened there 2000 years ago? So friends today, that is exactly what we're going to do. Friends, welcome to Making Disciples. My name is Chris Rogers. I am your host today and I hope you find this helpful. If you do, share it, like it, subscribe to it, give it a thumbs up, give us a comment, engage with us. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on what this podcast is on today. So the title of today's podcast is Location, Location, Location. So here we go. Location, location, location. Now what we're going to look at today is a passage that you'll find in Acts chapter 19. And it's a section where Paul goes to a place called Ephesus. Ephesus uh, is still there today. You can go and visit. In fact, if you ever find yourself wanting to go on holiday anywhere, head to Turkey and do a trip of the seven locations, seven churches in the book of Revelation. And, and Ephesus is one of these places. 
And Ephesus is such an interesting place, which we will explore uh, in a moment. But I'm going to read to you just a little bit of uh, a passage from Acts 19. And it references in this passage the early church. And the early church were not known as Christians. Christianity, in the form that we use it today, was a later title. During the time of the book of Acts, at this point, the church was known as followers of the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. So the early uh, people who were devoted to the way of Jesus, they called themselves followers of the way. Okay, so the, the, that where does that come from? Let me just explain that very briefly for you. You and I might approach the Bible and call it the good book. Have you read from the good book today? It's just a phrase that, you know, if I said to you, have you read the good book? Then you would know oh, he's talking about the Bible. The Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. The early church, the Jewish people had a phrase for those first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Their phrase was the way. So it was a phrase I've, uh, you know, they might say something like, we've been reading from the scriptures of the way. And it was all about the way of God leading people through the wilderness to a new promised land. Jesus then comes and he says, I've not come to abolish the Torah, I've come to fulfill it. Jesus is the way incarnate. So when Jesus says, I am the way, he's saying, I am the scriptures in bodily form. And the scriptures in bodily form. So the disciples of Jesus, the early gang of people, would call themselves followers of the way. So let me read this to you. This is from Acts chapter uh, 19, verse 23. But at that time arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith called Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business uh, for the craftsmen. He called them together along with the workmen uh, and the related trades. He said, men, you know we receive good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray a large number of people here in Ephesus. And in particularly the whole uh, province of Asia. He says, the man-made gods are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis. Uh, and it will be uh, discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped through the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. And it goes on to say that they were furious. They began to shout. They said soon the whole city was in uproar. The whole city of Ephesus, 250,000 people, roughly. The whole city were in uproar. It says that they end up going to the, to the lo local um, amphitheatre where they are rioting. The assembly was in confusion. Some people shouted one thing. Some people shouted another. Uh, most people didn't even know what was going on, according to uh, verse 32. They, uh, after two hours of rioting in Ephesus. We're told that they were shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And then they make a proclamation, well, Paul has been blaspheming against Artemis. And then it goes on that one of the governors comes ahead of them and says, hang on, are you going to press charges? If not, uh, we have to cut this off because we're going to get in trouble with Rome for what's going on here. Uh, you should press charges. If there is anybody further that wants to bring charges, then it needs to be settled in a legal counsel. In other words, 
you've not filled out any paperwork. So here you have this location of Ephesus and a group of people who are really upset with Paul because Paul is challenging uh, Artemis of the Ephesians. Now, actually, I'm just thinking about this. I've got in my study, here we are. This is Artemis of the Ephesians. Um, she was known as the many-breasted goddess. Now, if you're listening to this on the podcast, what I'm holding right now is a little miniature statue of the goddess Artemis. It's probably about 15, 20 inches tall. I got this from uh, Ephesus when I was visiting there a number of years ago. And in Ephesus, there is still a statue, gold statue of Artemis of the Ephesians. She has got um, across her chest, probably, I'm, I'm, I don't know, estimating like 30 large grapes and they're meant to be her bosom. Uh, so she was known as the many-breasted goddess. She was a goddess of fertility, a goddess of life, and a goddess of abundance. So this is Artemis of the Ephesians, and they worshipped her uh, in Ephesus. In, in the centre of Ephesus, you had this giant temple uh, to Artemis, and this temple... Okay, you've got to change the way that you think about temples and worship to understand what's going on here. Take your church building and place it directly on top of your local shopping centre, okay? Uh, because the temple to Artemis, it was a place uh, that was the centre of magic and mystery. It was a place of power, it's a place of politics, uh, it was a place of worship for Artemis, but it was a place of commerce and money and trade and produce. It was schooling, it was education, it was health centre. So th this place was more like a shopping centre, and in the heart of this shopping centre is this incredible temple to Artemis. And you would walk in and as you walk in, there stood this giant gold statue to Artemis, Artemis of the Ephesians. And this was the epicentre. Ephesus was the epicentre of worship for the goddess Artemis. Artemis in the UK was known as uh, Diana. She was also known as Istra, which is also where we get the name Easter from. Interesting. Anyway, let's not go down the hole, is Easter a Christian festival or not? We're not going to approach that, that little minefield today. So, Ephesus. What can I tell you about Ephesus? It's the epicentre of Artemis and it affected the old Asia Minor areas. The whole region of Turkey uh, worshipped the goddess Artemis of the Ephesians and she'd made her way all the way to the UK under a slightly different name, uh, but she was still Artemis, the many-breasted goddess. So here you have Paul. Paul arrives in this city and they worship this, this goddess and they were making gold, brass, uh, metals, stone statues of Artemis of the Ephesians and they would sell these. And the whole trade out of Ephesus was the trading of Artemis and statues of Artemis and uh, pictures of Artemis and texts of Artemis. So it was it was the epicentre of Artemis worship in the same way Jerusalem is the epicentre of the worship of, or was the worship of the God Yahweh, Jesus, um, the Jesus movement. 
So he comes in and they're making these idols and these idols are nothing of stone. And Paul comes in and says, do you know what? These statues that you're making of Artemis, they're not, they're not gods. I don't know why you even bother worshipping these statues of stone because they're nothing but gods made by the hands of men. Like they're man-made deities. Uh, so why are you worshipping? They would take these statues and put them in their home. They would worship the statue as if it was a piece of the goddess. Paul says, no, it doesn't work. So Paul starts to challenge the whole system of which that society is based on. So this should help us understand a little bit about this story of, of Ephesus. I'm going to give you a little bit more. So if you Google a location, uh, you can often find some. You have to be really careful what you do read and what you do find. You have to double check it with extra sources. Uh, you can buy some really good books on this kind of stuff. I can't more highly recommend the book, The Bible Book by Book by Chris Rogers. That kind of covers some of this stuff in here, in there. Uh, so I'm going to read a few more pieces for you that were written about Ephesus to help us understand this location of, of Ephesus. So this is... Antipater of Sidon. And upon visiting Ephesus, this is what he writes about Ephesus. I've set eyes on the wall of lofty Babylon, on which is a road for chariots. I've seen the statue of Zeus. I have seen the hanging gardens of Babylon. And I have seen Colossus of the Sun and the huge labour of the high pyramids and the vast tombs. But when I saw the house of Artemis that was mounted to the clouds, those other marvels lost uh, all their balancy. And I said, lo, apart from the Olympus, the sun never looked on anything so grand. This temple of Artemis was the grandest thing you could see in the Middle East at that time. Grander than any temple in Jerusalem. It was huge. He has not seen anything like it. Now let me read this for you. This is a, a governing edict and it was written in 162. Since the, since the goddess Artemis, leader of our city, is honoured not only in her homelands of which she uh, has made the most illustrious of all cities through her own divinity, but also among the Greeks and the barbarians. The result is that wherever her shrines and sanctuaries have been established, temples have been founded for her and altars dedicated to her. Get this, all because of the visible manifestations affected by her, because of the miracles. So just get your head round. Paul is walking into a pagan region and he walks to the epicentre of that pagan region and he starts challenging the entire cultural system of which that society is based on. Therefore, you can see why there was a great disturbance about the way. Jesus, the way, the one who will bring life, truth. You don't need statues. You don't need pictures. You don't need all of the clutter and religious stuff. You just need Jesus with you. You just need to know Jesus' presence. So everywhere that Artemis' presence was, there was blessing. So you would want to get yourself 
a statue for Artemis for your home. So Paul is challenging the entire system. You don't need to make anything from silver or from human hands. So what, G, what Paul is doing here, he's setting the gospel up as a Jesus versus culture. Wherever Paul goes, he's saying Jesus is Lord, not Artemis is Lord, not Caesar is Lord, not Diana is Lord, but Jesus is Lord. And he sets up the lordship of Jesus over all prevailing cultures. So you can see why they end up rioting. Paul is challenging the entire system of which Ephesus is built upon. Paul was on a journey. He was on a journey of teaching people the good news of Jesus. And wherever he went, whatever setback he had, he was determined to press on. He has such confidence in Jesus and the good news that he just keeps on going. Nothing was going to stop him because Paul, he was a follower of the way. He was a follower of Jesus. He was a follower of the way, the truth and the life. He was not a follower of a dead god or, or of an idol or of a statue. He was a follower of the way. Paul was not interested in safety. He was interested in the truth. If we believe in God, we sometimes think that we will be safe. If I've got God in my life, I'll be safe. That's what we think. God never promises us safety. He never promises us safety. Uh, I'm sure I'll be safe because I'm on God's side. Uh, if I've got God, then I will be prosperous. This is what we get told. Friends, look at the life of Paul. Nowhere did Paul ever experience this kind of prosperity, blessing, because of a dedication to the gospel. Um, we never, ever, ever see this stuff in the life of Paul. Paul is challenging head on and it's affecting everything for him. He eventually is taken to Rome where he's eventually imprisoned and he's eventually killed. The gospel leads Paul away from safety. So the backdrop of this passage is a backdrop of this incredible place, this incredible city built upon the worship of this goddess Artemis. So all we've done here, friends, let's just back up. All we've done is the passage tells us that Paul has arrived at Ephesus. OK, we're given a location. Let's go and find out what happens at this location. So we can go and research it. We can find out. And then we approach the text again. OK, everything that we have known now about Ephesus... So now as we approach it, we start to see, OK, well, I can actually see why this group of people were so cross at Paul, because he's challenging the whole system that their, their world is built on. He's not just challenging little idol makers. He's challenging the, the entire uh, consumer culture of the day. And the gospel does this. The gospel challenges culture. And the gospel does exactly the same for us today. The gospel challenges the culture of which we find ourselves in. So if I, if I was to say to you, who is our Artemis of the Ephesians? Who is it? I wouldn't say it was a being. I would say it's a worldview. It's consumerism. 
Artemis was the focal point of a consumeristic model of religion and worship that centres around politics, banking, money, shopping, the whole works. In fact, we're told that in that temple of Artemis, there was a, an incredible space where the arts were sold. Dance, poetry, music, painting, and they had this giant amphitheatre. Uh, and this amphitheatre, so we're told, get this, that the entire city is rioting and we're told that they've gathered in this amphitheatre. Well, Wembley Stadium holds 90,000 seats. Ephesus had 250,000 people in it. So just to get a kind of sense of scale here, this amphitheatre in Ephesus was absolutely huge. So a couple of questions for us then as we back up. If this is Ephesus and Paul comes into Ephesus and challenges the system of which it is based on, as we approach this passage today, understanding the location and what it was about, how does it challenge us? And I think the challenge to us is this. Who are we uh, committed to over Jesus? Or what is it that we are committed to over Jesus. What is it that Jesus challenges and we don't want to hear it, so we ignore it and go deaf? Don't want to know about that. What is it in our culture, in our religious culture, in our secular culture, what is it that challenges Jesus? And, and you could clearly say for us, consumerism. We worship the goddess of consumerism. If you were to only go to the temple to the goddess consumerism, you will find a place where you are valued, where you are loved, where you will look beautiful, where you can get cosmetics to make you look incredible. We worship the goddess of self. I want to look good. So I go to the temple of consumerism to get the products, the religious products I need to help me and my life do better. The shopping centre is busier on a Sunday than churches are busy. The shopping centre is busier than mosques, synagogues and churches all added together. We as a society worship the goddess consumerism and Paul is approaching our temples and he's challenging them. Who is Lord? Who is Lord? Is Westfield's Lord? Is Top Man Lord? Is Kath Kidson Lord? I don't know where you shop. Primani is Lord. Like, well, what is it that you go to that you love to shop at? And Paul is, well, who's Lord? Is, is Primani Lord or is Jesus Lord over your life? Because if Jesus is Lord over your life, he will affect everything you buy, everything you purchase, where you purchase it from, how much you spend, what you do with your money, how you invest it. God wants to influence all areas of our, life, of our lives. He wants to be first in our lives. And finance is a key piece of putting God first. How you live your life reveals who you worship and how you worship. How much stuff uh, have you got? So I think the challenge for us today in our podcast is if Paul was to walk into, or let's back up from that even more. Let's say what if Jesus was to walk into our towns and our villages, what is it that he would be challenging? What, it, what choices do we make that Jesus would challenge? And therefore, 
Do we need to make some choices in our lives, changes in our lives to align ourselves more with Jesus is Lord than Artemis is Lord, than Primarch is Lord, Marks and Spencers is Lord? Do we need to make some adjustments? And when you change an idol, it's painful. It is painful. It will be costly to the whole system that society is built on. That's what Paul is doing. And that's why people were so angry with him. He's challenging the whole system. So I'd love to say to you today, what is it that Jesus is challenging in your prevailing culture around you, in your home, in your street, in your neighborhood, town, village, city, nation? What is it that Jesus is Lord challenges? Jesus, the way, what does he challenge? Uh, so I want to leave it with that, you for that. So uh, when you find a location, Google it, search it, buy a book that gives you some Bible locations and that kind of stuff. Really helpful stuff once you start understanding the context to what actually happens in it. And we're going to do some more of these because there's some incredible things that, uh, particularly in the book of Acts, Paul arrives in a location and that location really helps us understand why Paul does what he does. So we're going to do some more of these in the coming weeks of location, location, location. Uh, so I hope you find that really helpful. I'd love you to share it. I'd love you to tell others about it. Like it. Uh, give us a comment. Give us your views. If you know something about Ephesus, leave it in the comments. I would love to hear it. I want to keep learning like you guys do, knowing more and more uh, around, um, yeah, what does the biblical world teach us about the way of Jesus? So friends, until next time. My name is Chris Rogers, grace and peace.